Well, to begin, I, I want to take you maybe on somewhat of a somber note. Uh, remember, we're in week uh, three, four of a, of a sermon series on the Bible and emotions. And the, the question we're asking is, it, what does the Bible have to say about all of these emotions? Happiness, sadness, pain, fear, anxiety, depression. Does the Bible only speak to happy things like joy and peace? Does the Bible speak to some of the sad and painful things? What gives, right? And so already we've looked at pain and suffering. Um, we've looked at kind of the range of emotions. We've kind of been walking with this idea that the Bible does speak to all emotions, and therefore it's okay if you're a human being to experience a wide range of emotions. And the Bible even shows us how we can worship God given all of these emotions. And so today the emotion I want us to look at is this emotion called fear. Everybody who's a human being will experience fear at some point. And is that okay, or is the Bible just saying, no, you shouldn't experience fear if you're a Christian because Jesus takes away your fear, kind of whatever, right? And so let me begin talking about fear a little bit, and I'll, I'll tell you just about my own personal story, my first remembrance of fear. Um, it was the first day of sixth grade, and in my hometown, Palestine, Texas, in 1993, some of you are like, you're old. Uh, 93 was a long time ago, but it's 1993. I remember, if you remember in, in history, it's because there was uh, this assault on this cult compound in Waco, Texas called the Branch Davidians and like ATF went in and like lit up the place and it made national news and that was like my first day of school and I'll never forget that. Um, and I remember it was sixth grade and in my hometown there was kind of third grade, fourth grade, fifth grade and then there was a sixth grade center and then it was seventh grade, eighth grade and then it was high school, right? Ninth grade through twelfth, right? So in sixth grade you were all alone. It was the first time you had a bell system so you switched classes and we felt like as sixth graders, we were old. We'd made it. Because no longer were you in the same class with one teacher for all of your period. You now got to switch classes and have different teachers. You felt a little bit older. We were dropped off in our own place. We could cause ruckus. It was great, right? And I remember it was first day of school. I felt like I was growing up. I was finally becoming a man as a sixth grader. Um, and I, I, I came home and... We, our routine was my mom would come in, pick us up, she would kind of let us off in our house, we were in a rent house at the time, and she would play the phone messages. We had like an answering machine, because it was 1993, and I'm old, and we didn't have cell phones or anything like that, so she played the answering machine, and it was my, my me mom, my dad's mom, and she said, hey, you, uh, the boys and Karen were in an accident, and I'm driving from Dallas to Houston, I'll call you when I get there. And so I remember my mom started panicking. She was like, what's going on? So she called around. She was trying to figure out, called all the aunts and the relatives or whatever. And I just remember it was really odd in our house. And so um, this went on all night. We ate dinner. We got ready. I went to sleep in my room. My sister went to sleep in her room. And then about 9 o'clock, I hear my dad. He'd come home from work, and he just started crying. I've only heard my dad cry like three times uh, in, in life. One was when his dad died. One was when the Cowboys went out in the playoffs way too soon. Um, he was just bawling, uh, but this was a third time for me, and I just remember lying in my bed, I'm in sixth grade, and hearing my dad crying, and it was unsettling, and so I remember at some point, he kind of got himself together, and he and my mom came in, they turned on, and I said, Doug, we need to talk, they said, um, your aunt, Karen, and your cousins, Robert and Scott, who were at the time nine and six, they were tragically killed in a car wreck, and they didn't make it, and the funeral is Friday, and we're going to go down to Houston, and we're going to be there. Now, here's the backstory. I'm in sixth grade. My cousins, Robert and Scott, were like my best friends. We had already planned for them to be best men in my wedding, and I was going to be best men in their wedding. We had ha made all these plans together. 
we, we talked all the time when I'd go back to Houston and see them. We hung out all the time. And I remember as a sixth grader for the first time, first day of school, I'm having to process death in that capacity that there is something tragic and there is suffering in the world. As a sixth grader, and I, it was overwhelming. And I remember lying in my bed after my parents went to sleep and my sister got really unnerved. So she came in my room and she crawled in bed with me and we just kind of sat there and snuggled. And I just remember for the first time feeling fear. And I was afraid of death and dying. I'd never thought about it before. I wasn't, a, I wasn't a Christian. I didn't know about heaven or hell. I just knew I didn't want to die, and I didn't want to face that, and it was paralyzing. And I remember from sixth grade into seventh grade into eighth grade into ninth grade just being terrified of death and dying and thinking about it in such a way that it would just paralyze me. I had nightmares where I was in the car with my cousins as the car wreck was happening and I was dying, and it would, I would wake up in a pool of sweat and just be terrified of things. This was a fairly normal occurrence for me, 6th, 7th, 8th, ninth grade, 10th grade. Even up to this point now, even though I'm a believer and God did a lot of amazing work in my heart, my wife tells me that at times I will, it'll be in the middle of the night, I will shoot straight up in bed and make one of those sucking in noises, you know what I'm talking about, where you're just like, <gasps> like that, just in the middle of the night, just arresting. And my wife will be like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And I'll be like, I'm afraid to die. And then I'll lay down and go back to sleep, right? <laughs> like just this, there's this deep sense of fear about the, the process of dying and getting old. And it haunts me even to this day. And I know I'm going to go be with Jesus if I ever die. I know Jesus is sovereign. is going to take care of everything. But I have to admit to you, as a 35-year-old suburban dad, I'm still just a little bit afraid of the painful process of dying. Fear. Fear is what I want to talk about today. The fact that there are things in this world that just scare us, and we're alerted, and we're alarmed, and, and something's not right. We don't feel safe, we don't feel secure, and it's just a little bit of a panicky situation. Does the Bible have anything to say about fear? And does it have anything good to say about fear, or is it just condemning of the emotion of fear? Well, when I became a believer, uh, I was 16 years old, I became a Christian, there was one verse that God used to just minister to me whenever I was feeling fearful. Okay, and it's this verse here, and I want us to look at it, 2 Timothy 1.7. So if you have your Bibles, your phone apps, you can open it right there, and we'll read it. English Standard Version will be on your screen as well. And here's what it says. For God, Paul's writing to Timothy. He's talking about starting a church. Timothy is a young pastor, and he's writing this letter to Timothy, and he's trying to just pump him up at the very beginning, trying to help him feel good about being a pastor in this new venture. He says this, Timothy, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Now, that's a really odd way of phrasing. The English Standard Version is trying to go phrase by phrase and be as uh, faithful to the Greek text as possible. So I, I kind of reworked it in a little more readable language, and it's going to be on your screen here. Here's basically what it, it says. It's this juxtaposition of these two ideas, and here's what it says. Number one, on the one hand, for God did not give us a spirit of fear. God gave us instead a spirit of power, of love, and of self-control. Uh, guys, I want to look at those two ideas presented in this, this promise of God. Um, first, I want to look at the first idea, spend some time there. And then I want to spend the back half of this looking at the second one. So let's just take them in turn. And here's the first one. For God did not give us a spirit of fear. Okay, what does this mean? What are these words? This seems somewhat ambiguous. I want to define two words here to help us really dial in on what 
what this verse is telling us. And the first one, the first word I want to dial in on is this word spirit. Is, is Paul saying God's not given us a ghost of fear? Is it like this Scooby-Doo type scenario where in our room there's a ghost that comes up and says, I am the ghost of fear. And you're like, no, God didn't give you to me. Be gone, right? Is that what's going on here? No, not so fast. The word spirit there is the word pneuma. And the definition, as best we can understand, is this. It's the power by which the human being feels, thinks, and decides. It's a, it's, God's not given us this power or this kind of sense about us. The best word we can have, and if you, you have a bulletin, you can fill this in, it's the, it's the idea of a mentality. God's not given us a mentality of fear. He's not given us a kind of a mental framework or a worldview of fear. If we have a mentality of fear, this is something that's not from God. That's basically what Paul is writing. Okay, so I understand this is a mentality. Well, what does it mean to have a mentality of fear? This is the second word I want us to look at here. The word fear, there's two words in the New Testament for fear. One is phobia, where you get like arachnophobia or kind of all that stuff. It's the kind of the fear of something, a phobia, a concern, a focus on. But the other one is the word that Paul uses here, and it's the word dilea, dilea. And it means, means fearfulness or timidity or or cowardness, right? So some verses will translate this, um, or some people will translate this verse, uh, God's not giving us a mentality of timidity. But I think the word for us, especially for our purposes and talking about the emotions, to, to see some contrast here is God's not giving us a mentality of fearfulness, okay? God's not giving us a mentality of fearfulness, God did not give us a mentality of fearfulness. And if this is true, then I want to make sure we unpack some of the subclaims that are going on here. Because something is true and something else is also true. The first thing that's true is this. God has given us fear, phobia, as a normal emotion. And I hope you understand that. God has given us, if we're human beings, phobia, fear, as a normal, healthy emotion. Remember, emotions for us, they're our gauge. The Bible is our guide, and Jesus is our goal. That's the framework we're using. Emotions are gauged. They're like, a, they're like a dashboard of our lives. Like when you're tired, you know, low tire pressure comes on, you're driving, and you're like, oh, I need to pull over to the side and put air in my tires, right? Um, the emotions we have, all the range of them, they're meant to be this gauge on a, the dashboard of our life telling us, hey, something's going on. Something's wrong. Alert, alert. And so fear is this normal emotion that God gives us that just says, alert, hey, something's going on here, you need to be aware. Think about this. Fear is a really healthy, helpful, normal emotion. If you're walking around in a bad neighborhood, right, and the hairs start standing on the back of your neck, and you're like, ooh, what's going on here? There's like shady human beings, perhaps in dark clothing, walking around, and they keep doing this thing right here, like they're reaching for something, like, ooh, let me pull this gun out, right? And you're just walking around, you're like, I'm in a bad neighborhood. Number one, why am I in a bad neighborhood? Like, what was I doing to possibly get me into this situation? Number two, I got to get out of here, right? It would be wrong of you to go, oh, I've got all this fear going on. Warning, you're in a bad neighborhood. God has not given me fear. <laughs> I'm going to keep walking in the direction of these very nefarious looking human beings over here, right? Oh, you've got a gun. That's okay. God hasn't given me fear, so I'm just going to walk into the, right? That would be really ludicrous, Right? If you're in a bad neighborhood, the hairs are standing on the back of your neck, there's something creepy, there's like a creepy voice that's like, get out, right? It would be really idiotic of you to not listen to that warning sign internally going, hey, something's not right here, I need to fly, I need to flee. Your fight or flight gland is happening, right? Or 
situations going on, you need to get out of there. That fear is a really helpful emotion to alert you to things going on. Or I'll give you another really practical example. It's, uh, you know, it's the end of the month. Maybe your grocery budget's a little thin and you kind of open up the fridge and there's some type of food item in there and you open it up and you're like, and then you're like, this probably should not smell this way. But I'm going to eat it anyway. And, you know, you get a fork or a spoon or it's the milk and you're drinking it. And it's past the expiration date. And it hits your tongue and you're like, wow, that tastes weird. And a little bit of fear goes on. Like, if you keep eating this, human, um, you will be sick and in the hospital, right? That's a good thing that's happening right there. Your body's alerting you to, like, the fact that you should not eat this food. Fear is a healthy, helpful, normal thing. If you're in a relationship and you are very concerned about some of the behavior that's going on, and you start, your heart starts beating, you get a little fearful around that person, you may be, God may be alerting you through your emotions, hey, you need to end this relationship and move in something else, right? That fear is this healthy thing that God gives to you, and you would be foolish to not listen to it as it comes on in the dashboard of your life, right? That's the first thing. But God has not given you fearfulness. Okay, God has not given you this mentality of fearfulness. And here's what I mean by fearfulness. Fearfulness is walking into any situation preloaded that something bad is going to happen despite the fact that there is either no evidence or evidence to the contrary. Fearfulness is just this, this presuppositional concern that the world's falling apart and that, that everything is like just terrible and so you're just kind of, oh, I don't know about this, right? So let me give you an example of, of this. I mentioned Waco, which is where I went to school, Baylor University, and for whatever reason, perhaps it's the low cost of living or whatever, but there are a lot of cults in Waco. Like it's just, it's just, it, you, just have to, you just have to go and see. You're like, hey, you're in Waco, home of Baylor Bears and the Brazos River and cults. Um, and so there's this one cult on the outside of town that everybody knows about, right? And um, for a lot of reasons, it just kind of keeps going. But um, from time to time, the church that I was in, these people would come out of this cult and they would join our church. And in this cult, most people were born into this cult and their families were there. And they were raised in this cult. And then like at 18, there's almost like an Amish, like a breaking Amish situation where these people would leave the cult and they would find some place to stay and they would get plugged into our church and they would kind of join our college ministry or whatever. And so we would be around these people um, coming out of the cult. And again, our heart went out to them. But it was just very interesting interactions because we would say things like, oh, hey, um, yeah, we're going to go to the movies uh, to go watch like a Disney movie, right? Like we're going to go watch a rated G Disney movie at this movie theater. Would you want to come with us? We'll pay for your ticket. And they're like, we can't go to the movies. Movies, that's where Satan controls your mind. And you're like, oh, okay. Uh, so, so no movies. But uh, are you sure there's popcorn, there's candy? Sugar is how Satan controls your body. And you're like, oh, okay. Popcorn? They're like, butter. It's a gateway food. It's a much harder food, right? There was just this fearfulness, and every time you brought up something like, hey, we're going to go to an outdoor concert, and they're like, is there a guitar? You're like, yes, there's a guitar. Well, the guitar is how Satan controls your ears, right? There was just always this excuse of how we couldn't do things. It was a, kind of a chicken little mentality, like we can't go anywhere. We just got to isolate ourselves in this really safe, naive bubble and never leave or we're going to be hurt. This was a good picture of fearfulness, right? 
it's a presumption or a presupposition that no matter what you do, something bad is going to happen despite evidence to the contrary or evidence that would support this. It's a, it's a non-empirical um, just concern for just the t- most terrible things that are possibly going to happen in your future. And what Paul is saying is this. God has not believers, Christians, people who are in Christ, people who are of the cross. He has not given you a mentality of fearfulness. Okay? Let me, let me give you guys, I want to I uh, just really hammer this point home. And I want to I help you understand this a little bit better. So I want to invite David Branch to come up and talk about his story. And I think we have a microphone for David right here. Yeah. So would you guys welcome David Branch, our Hello. missions intern up. And I'll invite David, go ahead and do a microphone check, make sure it works. Check one, two. Oh, nice. You have a career as a DJ. Um, so I, I want to invite David to just talk a little bit about his story just because he, he this kind of intersects in his life. So I, I'll kind of give you the, the stage first to kind of talk about things, give us some background on you and how this relates with you. Cool. Uh, yeah. So pretty much where, you know, fearfulness comes into my life. Uh, I played baseball throughout pretty much my whole life. Um, started when I was like four years old, you know, little guy, and uh, played all the way through high school competitively in, in tournaments and traveling and everything, and I got to college, okay, and um, so pretty much as as the pressure mounted to perform, I I was constantly, you know, in that mentality of things are always going to go wrong, and I can't really prevent that, you know, I I was constantly, you know, analyzing my swing over and analyzing everything, you know, and it paralyzed me, you know, from performing, I guess, to the best of my ability. So. Okay, so here, here's what I want to know. Maybe we want to know, like, talk us through practically on what it would look like, like fearfulness at the plate or fearfulness in the field and, like, how that would affect either the outcome of the game or even your own individual performance or enjoyment or things like that. Okay, cool. Um, so... I'm going to get really technical, baseball technical right now. Okay, so Jake is really happy. Okay, <laughs> you guys are really happy. Anyone else? John's really happy. We got some technical we baseball fans. got some fans. baseball players. Okay, this is yeah. for y'all. Okay. Woo. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, when you're hitting, okay, and you're up at up there at the plate, if there's any, um, I guess, delay in your um, approach or if you're nervous at all or second-guessing yourself, would be the word, I guess, you're probably going to fail, okay? And that was pretty much my disposition, I guess, as a baseball player. You know, I'd constantly be thinking, okay, what pitch is he going to throw? Is he going to throw this pitch? Is he going to throw that pitch? And it led me to, you know, to watch pitches, you know, let them go by that I could have, you know, hit a three-run home run and been the, the savior of the game, you know? So, that so okay, just to get this straight, you mean to tell me you watched hittable pitches go past the plate, like, on a routine basis? Yes. That you should have just taken a clean cut at? And hit it as far as I can go. If you'd have just, like, been, like, calm and relaxed and kind of confident in who God was and not fearful, you're telling me that you probably could have made contact and put in field, not just, like, in one game, but in, like, multiple games? In multiple games. Gotcha. Absolutely. Okay, Absolutely. in the field, how does this affect okay. you? Okay, so I was an outfielder. Okay, I played center field and right field, all right? Which means you're a really good athlete. Sure, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, And, you know, so if I'm playing outfield and say, 
there's a line drive, okay? There's a line drive coming at me, and, you know, I'm going to have to dive, you know, and save the day, you know, and save a run. My mentality, you know, that mentality of fearfulness would say, don't even chance it. You know, let it bounce. Let it bounce in front of you. You know, nothing bad will happen if you let this ball bounce in front of you and don't dive. Okay. So, safe to say you uh, played it too safe on numerous infield or outfield plays and yeah. they could have turned yeah. into, like, outs or things like that? Yeah, really okay. cool things. Yeah. So, I'm curious. Like, when you let a pitch go by and you know you should have just taken a crack at it, like, what goes on in your being? Like, oh, what are you thinking to yourself? Yeah. As you're walking back to the dugout, yeah. everyone's giving you the pity clap. Oh, you'll get better next yeah. time. And yeah. there's the one guy that's like... What a coward. Jeez. He should have just cut yeah. at that, right? Yeah. What are you thinking? Um, Not that I thought you were a coward. I'm just saying I'm no. sure there was some jerk who no. thought that somewhere. No. I mean, <laughs> as a baseball player, okay, as a baseball player, it's if you watch that pitch, you know, the pitch you're looking for, and you second guess and go, oh, dang it. I know on several occasions I found myself, you know, slamming my bat, you know, and getting super frustrated and and Saying looking Christian like a fool. Yeah, like okay. shoot. And, yeah, you know, there you go. That's a good one. <laughs> um, you know, that's, I mean, yeah, it, it messes with you, you know, and, and that's that's where the, the second guessing comes in. It just, it, it snowballs over and over and over and over again. So. Gotcha. So let me ask you this. If we could build a time machine and go back and you were just like not, you were not fearful, but you had a healthy biblical fear, you're tight with Jesus, you could walk through that all over again. How do you think the outcome, both on individual games or over your college career, would be different? Yeah, how would it be different? Yeah. Um, you know, some of the best times, some of the best baseball that I've played is when, you know, I have a correct view of what baseball is, okay? So, you know, if I, in my mind, if I'm using baseball as a tool, you know, to glorify God and, you know, to make his name known on the baseball field, I found that I played a lot better, hmm. you know, instead of, you know, constantly worrying about my performance, I guess. Um, so if I were to go back in time, you know, um, you know, if I had the correct mindset, it, I think it's directly related to performance, you know, in, in that, you know, if when you have the right mindset, it, it frees you up, mm. you know, to do things for the glory of God and, you know, to make his name known. Right. So you may not have been, like, playing D1 baseball right now, but you might have had a whole lot more fun. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. There's one thing you could say to the crowd, like, you could preach for a little bit, and I gave you the microphone, said preach for All a little right. bit. Come on, intern, preach. What yeah. would you say? Um, tonight, I guess my challenge is, to all of us is to come to grips with the fact that God is good and he loves us and wants to use our talents and abilities for a purpose far greater than ourselves. And, you know, instead of letting fear, fearfulness um, paralyze us, okay, uh, my prayer tonight is that, you know, we would be mobilized in faith and, and who God is and his character, and his love for us. Hmm. Awesome. David Branch, our intern, thank you so much for this. Hey, good job, buddy. That's great. Yeah, so in many respects, what, what I love about David's story is just thinking through the baseball game situationally. That, that's a great metaphor for life. 
I mean, how many of you right now, as he's talking about baseball, you're thinking about whatever your area is, um, and how thinking about your performance in comparison to other people and the societal expectations can sometimes paralyze you because you're so afraid of messing up and you're so afraid that something bad's going to happen instead of moving into that arena and thinking, God, whatever you want for me, that's what I want, so I'm just going to go after you with 100% of my being, and I'm going to let the chips fall where they may because ultimately I trust you more than I trust anything else or my own abilities. Let me, let me just give you some statements here, and they're in your bulletin, and I want to read them just to really nail home this difference between healthy fear and unhealthy fearfulness. Fear says this. Fear says, God, I'm scared, and I need you to move. That's really okay to say that. God, I'm scared. I need you to move. But here's fearfulness. Fearfulness says, God, I'm concerned that there is something too big for you to deal with. Fear says, there is something off in my environment. Something is off here. Fearfulness says, nothing's telling me otherwise, but I'm expecting there to be some bad stuff happening today. Fear says, I should think, pray, seek counsel on something in my life. The dashboard's telling me I need to seek counsel on this. Fearfulness says, I should isolate myself and hide. Fear says, I need God to move or this will overtake me. Fearfulness says, this is definitively going to overtake me. In short, fearfulness is considering your future as if God doesn't exist. And that's the problem. Because you're looking into your future like, oh, that future is bleak because God doesn't exist and so I'm in trouble. But here's what healthy fear says. It says, it's considering your future as something that's under God's sovereignty. I may be afraid for what may come, but I know that whatever comes, it's under God's sovereignty. And so therefore, I can face it like an adult in confidence in who Jesus is. God has given us fear as a normal emotion, but he has not given us this mentality of fearfulness. God has not given us a mentality of fearfulness. He has instead given us the gospel mentality uh, as our mentality. And so I want to talk for the remainder of our time as the second part of this uh, verse here. And it's on the gospel mentality that Paul has. Remember, the two things is God has not given us a spirit of fear, but instead he's given us a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. So I want to talk about the gospel mentality that is the correction to the, the mentality of fearfulness. And here's what it is. It is the power of God, it's God's gift of self-control, and it's the love of God. It's the power of God, it's God's gift to us of self-control, and it's the love of God. Okay? So God's not given us a mentality of fearfulness, instead he's given us this, a mentality of power and of love and of self-control. And to kind of pull all the, these things together in just like a practical uh, analogy, uh, I was trying to think about how to, 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 to think through this, and the, the best way I can think about it is the analogy of a lifeguard, okay? So I want you to imagine that you're at a pool somewhere, and you're all modestly dressed, because that's how Christians go to the pools, right? And um, I want you to imagine that there's a high dive, okay? Like one of those diving boards. They can't have them now for insurance purposes, but when I was growing up, there was like a giant diving board over like a public pool that was only like six feet deep. And it's like, sure, you should go 13 feet up in the air and jump into the six-foot deep pool. That's fine. That's totally fine. Right? So I want you to imagine there's the high dive, and 
you're looking at it, and you can tell, like, I kind of want to jump off that. It seems like it's fun. I want you to imagine that the lifeguard says, hey, listen, you're tall enough to get up there. I'm going to empower you. You can go and jump off that high dive. And you go, awesome, man. I mean, I've been looking at it for years, and now I'm old enough. I've met the minimum height requirement. And so the lifeguard looks at you from the perch and says, go on up, right? This is the empowerment of God, right? He says, you can do this. I'm empowering you for that. Now, if that's all God says to you, uh, that's great, but that's still not the gospel, okay? The gospel is not just one of self-empowerment where you're like, yes, I can take the day. Because it's still a little bit empty. And so what happens next is you can imagine you're up on the high dive and you're, you're empowered, you're ready to jump in, but you're like standing on the edge and you're going, ooh, that's a long way down. It looked less when I was down there. But now that I'm up here, I'm not sure I can handle that calculus. Maybe I, I, I sit down a little bit before I jump in. I don't know how that all works. You're feeling a little bit concerned. So I want you to imagine what the lifeguard tells you is, hey, listen, you have an option. You don't have to jump off. It's okay for you to jump off. I empower you to do that. But in the event that you're too concerned or too afraid or whatever, you have the option of getting back down to public shame and ridicule. You can walk back down the ladder. There's a line of people there. You can just be like, I'm sorry, I'm a coward. I'm sorry, I'm a coward. I'm sorry, I'm a coward, right? What the lifeguard has done in that situation, the lifeguard's told you, you have self-control. You're not forced to jump off of that uh, a high dive. You can as an alternative, get down and wait till another day. You are in control of the situation. Now, if you're given both of those, that's, that's pretty good, right? Um, in some cases, that seems like it's the best that can be offered there. But you know what? We're still not at the gospel yet. Because God doesn't just empower us and give us this wonderful gift of self-control where we can kind of control our environment. God does one more thing. So I want you to imagine in a scenario, you're scared to jump off. You know you have the opportunity to jump down or climb down off the, life, uh, uh, the, the high rise, the, 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 the diving board right there. And I want you to imagine that the lifeguard gets off the lifeguard's perch, gets someone to get up there, and the lifeguard walks up with you, gets up there and says, hey, listen, I've done this a million times. We can do this together. And the lifeguard links arms and says, let's go for this. I got you. If we jump in the water and you get overwhelmed, I'm there. I can pull you up and bring you safely to shore. And then you and the lifeguard jump into the water, right? And you have a great time. God not only gives us power, he doesn't only give us power and self-control. He, he does something uh, thirdly. He gives us the love of God, namely Jesus. God promises to be with us in all things. So no matter what our future holds, God says, I am with you to walk with you through that. I'm not only sovereign over it, I not only empower you to walk into it, I not only give you a measure of self-control, but I promise to be with you every step of the way because I'm sovereign over that and I'm going to get you to the other side. This is the gospel mentality. This is what God gives us. He says, I have not given you a mentality of fearfulness. Instead, I'm going to empower you and give you self-control and I'm going to walk with you every step of the way till you reach the other side. I was watching a video and I was trying to think of a, another illustration here that could just really uh, bring this home. And uh, there's a guy named Charlie Day who is a, uh, who's an actor in several films that I cannot recommend as a pastor. Um, but 
they exist in reality. And he was giving a commencement speech at Merrimack College. Uh, and you see this on Facebook from time to time, make, make its way through. But I want you to listen to his speech because while he gets a lot of things wrong, I think he gets this fearlessness or fearfulness thing and fear thing right. And so I want you to take a look at this and then I'll make some observations. Okay? You cannot let a fear of failure or a fear of comparison or a fear of judgment stop you from doing what's going to make you great. You cannot succeed without this risk of failure. You cannot have a voice without the risk of criticism. And you cannot love without the risk of loss. You must go out and you must take these risks. And people will tell you to do what makes you happy. But a lot of this has been hard work. And I'm not always happy. And I don't think you should do this what makes you happy. I think you should do what makes you great. Do what's uncomfortable and scary and hard but pays off in the long run. Be willing to fail. Let yourself fail. Fail in the way and the place where you would want to fail. Fail, pick yourself up, and fail again. Because without this struggle, what is your success anyway? Look, as best we know it, we have one life. In it, you have to trust your own voice, your own ideas, your honesty, your vulnerability, and through this, you will find your way. You do not have to be fearless. Just don't let fear stop you. Live like this as best you can, and I guarantee you will look back on a life well lived. Now, the thing I think he gets wrong uh, in this video is that he, his appeal to us is to go do what makes, what, what makes you great. And he tells us just to kind of buy in. There's a lot of power language, and there's a lot of self-control language. And if we didn't have any other Bible or anything like that, we might be tempted to go, oh, this is it. It's the inspirational speech I need to kind of face the future. future. I'm going to cast aside everything. I'm going to follow Jesus, and everything's going to be all great, and yada, yada, yada. Except it's a very lonely road. And God loves us so much that he doesn't just tell us to go do stuff, and he doesn't just give us a jolt of caffeinated energy and hope that we can be like the Energizer Bunny and just keep going and going and going. And he doesn't just give us a sense of self-control and send us off into this dark future. No, the God of creation comes down and dwells with us every step of the way until he sees us safely on the other side. And that's the good news of the gospel, and it's the good news that God has for us here today. God has not given us a mentality of fearfulness because he's sovereign. Instead, he's given us a mentality of power and of love and of self-control. I want to invite you to pray with me and then respond in song as the band leads us here. Jesus, uh, I thank you for the fact that you love us enough to walk with us every step of the way. That when you tell us to jump or when you lead us to jump, you don't just empower us, but you walk with us. And as we think about the things that are coming up in our lives, the decisions we have to make, the possibilities that are coming, classes we should take, jobs we should take, relationships we should enter into or exit out of. Jesus, as we think through a whole host of decisions and as our own fearfulness raises its, its ugly head, Jesus, I pray that you'd remind us that you're sovereign over all things. And not only that, that you will be with us in everything we do. And so because of that, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy that follows us all days of our lives. We thank you that perfect love drives out fear. We thank you that you are not a God uh, who demands things of us 
without also providing the care that we need. And so in light of all this, we prepare our hearts to sing back to you and to respond in song. It's in your name that we pray.